At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Just love that opening, you know. It's just funny. It's from an Adam Sandler movie about rational thoughts, or someone who's going to say something that's just very interesting or important or useful. And in our case, today's show for Author Brand Show, uh, I've got a digital breakthrough strategy, a specialist in transformational change. This guy's got over 20 years' experience in private equity, uh, distressed acquisitions, is a turnaround global transformation executive. He's built his whole career on rapid, radical, and change with breakthrough growth. These are all things that everybody wants. He's worked overseas in China and the U.S. Um, he's a strategy designer. He's a behavioral strategist, so be careful what you say. And uh, he loves to work on the intersection of strategy, transformation, and most importantly, people. So no matter what the company, um, this holds true time and time again. Great strategist, and he's a wonderful person to talk to, so I'm very happy to bring on our, our guest today, Vistage Chair and Consultant, Mr. Brad Cousins. Brad, how are you today? Good. How are you doing, Doug? It's great doing to be with you, and uh, hopefully I'll have, provide some rational thought and not some I'm sure you do. Like if it's not rational, it could be at least be controversial, interesting, or as I said earlier, useful. So um, people are going to watch this and go, okay, why should you listen to this guy? So give me a, a bullet point on what's, what's going to make, what they're going to learn today. Well, look, um, like I, I tell people, I'm built for crisis. That's, that's what I've done. So I think one of the things that, that I have to offer uh, your listeners and viewers is how to how to build themselves better for crisis. Mm. Very relevant as we're all coming out of a pandemic, yeah. and and part of that, um, as you talked about, I live at the intersection of strategy, people, change management, transfer transformation. The biggest part of that is managing yourself, managing your emotions. Yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned that earlier, and I find that fascinating because most most people in the corporate environment. They're usually focusing on, you know, systems, operations, people, culture, leadership. And you're talking about managing your own emotions. Well, how, how have you seen that show up with the clients you've worked with? Well, the, the best analogy I can point to is we all have been to the emergency room, or most mm -hmm. of us have been, right? The last thing you want there is a doctor that's overwhelmed, that can't make a decision because he's so under pressure, so nervous, so all these things. Those are muscles that you build over time. Why? Because... The uncomfortable is comfortable to that doctor, right? Yeah, the, yeah. Our crisis is his normal. It's every day for him. It's I clock in at nine, I leave at five. I live in your crisis. So it's a perspective. It's a mindset. Um, you know, a lot of that is we, we tend to approach these crises and and they're triggering our emotions. And, and we're mm -hmm. not recognizing that our judgment and our decision making are impacted by, by the emotional overload we're sensing. Wow. I, I love the emergency room analogy. I hadn't heard that before. It's really, really powerful. I talked to some people who, um, you know, in military and police and whatnot that have their, their crisis muscles trained a little bit better than the average person because they're in, you know, life and depth stuff. So they're a little bit more um, prepared for that. But most business leaders, entrepreneurs are not. What do you do to, to help um, get them prepared for that kind of thing? So I think, you know, the key is, and this is, this is where entrepreneurs come from. They grow up through crisis, uh, especially yeah. if they're a startup, right? It's, it's yeah. a series of crises of increasing impact. That's how you build muscles over time, right? The, from where I come from, uh, private equity, distress acquisitions and turnarounds, we were always buying companies 
out of bankruptcy. You always walk yeah. in the door and these employees have been through the ringer. They've been in bankruptcy. Some of them have been laid yeah. off. They've had their pay cut, their benefits cut. They're scared. Yeah. And the last thing they want is a guy that comes in in a panic. And so the reason that I say I live at the intersection of, of people is that's what makes strategy go. You yeah. know, out of, out of, you know, today's crisis is the mother of tomorrow's invention, right? So mm -hmm. whatever crisis comes today is an opportunity. And I think it's really a mindset shift of, you know, looking at every crisis as an opportunity to do something different. Why? Right. Because we're all human. We all get comfortable. Right. It's not until we have that crisis that we really go through the change that's needed. Right. Well, you know, I. what did you do to get to that level? Is it all just over time or did you do anything special to get yourself? You know, we're going to talk about one of your stories in a few minutes here, but what did you do to, to well, train you know, I, you know, a lot of it, a lot of this we're, we're born with. Yeah. It's personality to a certain degree. So one thing is recognizing who you are, okay. being aware of who you are, what your triggers are. We've all heard that, well, that, that guy, he embraces change. Yeah. Um, but are there people that embrace crisis? I think so. I think there's people that run to the car wreck outside and there's people that shy away from it. There's yeah. people that run in to help and there's people that get scared. And so part of it is recognizing yourself and your own triggers. So how did I get to it? You know, you, you build the muscle over time. I think it's, mm -hmm. it's some of it's not taking the easy path. Some of right. us went through college the hard way. You know, we, we, yeah. we ground it out. We took six years instead of four. We <laughs> took five years instead of three, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it is that is that recognizing that people and the ability to bring people in to that space with you, motivate them, leverage them to the point of which you're a collective and moving forward, I think is a key. OK. Or maybe some people develop their their muscle by being chased to dark alleys at night by the Chinese police or something like that. <laughs> There's always some of those great stories. I think, you know, early. I was fortunate in my career. I had some great mentors and some great people that placed a lot of trust in me to go to places in the world that others would not, to take risks that others would not. And I think that's the story of most entrepreneurs. Uh, mine's a little different. Yeah, there's some stories in there. I, I dropped that for for people that that was a that was a prompt for you, my friend. I want to yeah, yeah, I want to yeah. hear that again because the way that you know it's going to be in your upcoming book. I know, but give them give them one story about that. Either the the police chase or the firing of the the whole factory floor. Both of those were like, it sounded to me for like your you know, like a very stressful times. So. Yeah, I'll I'll leave the 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 probably the police went to the book. I think it's, okay. it's best told in a larger, longer format. But totally, uh, yeah. um, but you know the, the 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 factory, and I've turned around several companies in China, which adds a totally different element. It's one yeah. thing, and I think I embrace those challenges. It's one thing that, yeah. you know. I'm from the South. So it's one thing to walk into a factory here in the South where, yeah. you know, the good old boys, you can say, yeah. Hey y'all. And, <laughs> and you got that. It's quite another when you walk into, into an operation around the world. Yeah. Um, you know, and that one was one where you hear all these stories about expat managers being held captive in closets <laughs> and all of this. It, it takes a different level of, um, moxie, right. That old time yeah. moxie, grit. Um, but you know, you walk in there and you know that you've got a whole group, 
you know, of, of bad actors and, and, and you hear from the people what needs to, needs to happen. It's balancing and having that control of emotion that says, this is the rational decision that has to be done. And I got to pull right. the trigger and do it. Give, give me the, I want to hear the whole story again. Go ahead. Just share it. People want to know this. This is, this is such a good one. Yeah. So, so, you know, I walk into the, it's automotive factory to turn around in China. Um, I'm their president of that, of that operation. Been there for about 60 days. Um, realized that I've got a, uh, what I refer to in my management work is a terrorist on board as my yep. plant manager. And he's loaded the factory at least half with people from his yep. hometown, eight hours away. Yep. And so I've got this little faction in there and the factory's located next to a vocational school. So we've got all this great new talent, but productivity's just not picking up. There's still problems on the floor. People are kind of hesitant about buying into the system. Yeah. And so I decided the plant manager's got to go. And so I, you know, um, I terminate the plant manager. Plant manager runs out on the floor, orchestrates a pretty big work stoppage. Um, I come out with my HR person who is my right-hand person and translator. Yeah. And so I'm out there listening to some of the complaints. And I've got a pretty, I've got the whole first shift factory floor there. I don't know, right. 60 people. Okay. And um, I'll never forget this one young guy. He, he goes, he spoke great English. Um, couldn't have been more than 19 years old. He says, uh, um, they called me Laoban, which is big boss over there. Laoban. Okay. Um, we want to, we want to work. We know what to do is right. But these other guys, they threaten us mm -hmm. and they tell us, well, who, who are you talking about? Well, all of these other senior guys physically yeah. threaten us if we do that. So, you know, it, it's that moment, it's an inflection yep. moment and you make the decision. And, and, um, so I said, Hey, this whole side of the room is now terminated. You can see HR. And you can pick up your checks, um, and uh, we'll move on down the line. And, and that was so, like half half the company, or what? Half the, uh, the it was a, it was a, uh, let's call it forty to fifty percent. It was a very sizable yeah. chunk side of the room. Um, and so um, you know, I I said you can see HR. You'll pick up your last month's wage, and um, and uh, we'll see it. Thank you for mm -hmm. your service. And. Yeah. Um, so I go back to my office. The plant manager comes and says, you're not leaving here. You're staying here into the factory. And I said, no, I've got a train to make and I'm, I'm leaving. And, and uh -huh. so um, I just, you know, he kind of made a halfway effort to hold me in the room. And I just, let's, let's not go there. It's over. Yeah. And, and, and just walked, picked up my briefcase and walked. Was I, was I, was my adrenaline pumping? Was my heart beating? Yeah, I, I didn't have my I didn't have my Apple Watch there then to tell me heart rate too high. But um, but you know the results right after that the next day immediately that factory went to 125 percent of standard production rates. So 125 percent over productivity rates. Yeah. We hired all the people we needed, and from then on that that I think you know that factory. Two years later was 10 times the employee count of what it was. Wow. We did work for Volkswagen, Emerson Steel, large multinational companies. We were finally landing those projects. But, you know, it's 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 realizing in those, and, and some people call it intuition. Yeah. Some people call it gut feel. I don't think it's that. I, I mean, 
there's emotions in play. You have to realize, okay, here's the course that needs to be made. I, I need to make this decision and we need to make it and move on. Entrepreneurs make those decisions every day that are in crisis as they're building. You're doing it probably with, with, you know, with your, with your business. Sure. <laughs> hey, I got to I'm at the point I got to make this decision and right. there's not a right or wrong answer. There's a decision that needs to be made. You know, it's, it's a really good lesson. I, I remember reading some stories this past few weeks of uh, companies that, uh, you know, did a mass firing on Zoom. We're at safe. You know, I can put a hundred people on Zoom and say, hey, this is your last day. But when you're on a foreign country on the factory floor and trench people there and you say, you guys, this is your last day out of here. I mean, you know, I don't know if any more part of the you know Chinese gang or something would have been a little bit nervous, but. That's a different story in the book. You already alluded to that story. With I know, I know. We'll get to that one later. Definitely check out the book. It's called Built for Crisis. It'll be available very shortly here on Amazon. Check it out. Um, interesting stuff, Brad. So you understand, you know, you're embracing it, right? Because some people say they're, you know, they love um, crisis or disruption. Is that really true or they just learn to um, deal with it? I don't think anyone loves crisis, right? We don't love crisis. I think, you know, I think what we, and some of it comes with maturity, right? Emotional yeah. intelligence in general and, and equanimity, which is this, this level load, this, this level um, emotions that comes really with maturity. When we talk about developing leaders and developing leadership and emotional intelligence, what we're really talking about is creating awareness and mindfulness. Now, what you can do is get into those situations and, 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 and we'll call it safe crisis, right? Yeah. Safe, safe, safe things to go do and build your muscles over time. You know, walking okay. into factories, I've, made, I've walked into many factories, whether yeah. it be Australia, China, wherever, and, and, and companies, that's a bit different. That's a little far out there. You're in a different land, different yeah. legal system, different right. um, language, culture, everything. But you know, you can manage the crises. You can manage. You cannot shy away from them. It still mm -hmm. goes back to those basic reptilian brain, human, human things of fight, flight, or freeze. You have those right. choices. The more you're in those situations, and we have mm -hmm. to recognize we all built muscle over the pandemic the last two years. Now, what you do with that muscle is a different thing. That that is very, very um, yeah, appropriate. And the the thing you said earlier about making a decision. You know, there's an old saying in entrepreneurial world that you um, hire slow and fire fast, but most entrepreneurs do the exact opposite. I need somebody. I need to put somebody on staff. They hire someone. Oh, I got to fire him. I'll just let him go for a while. You know, and you. I think you've got that nailed. You the right the right uh, right attitude for that. Yeah, the, well, that's the worst thing you can do. Um, I, you know, I tell people you can either you can either build empires to recruit people or you can build empires to retain people. The choice is really up to you. Um, you know, I've got you know clients and, and people that I work with that you walk in the door and they've got five, ten, twenty recruiters there, and for every one person they're hiring, there's two people leaving out the back door, and mm -hmm. there's just a yeah. churn going on. So, you know, that's, you know, when, when it comes to hiring the right people, yes, you can find people that embrace the change, embrace mm -hmm. the crisis, mm -hmm. um, that, that are wired to do that um, already. But there, there's a mindfulness that comes, even if you're wired, 
there's certain trigger points that you need really need to understand. Right, right. You know, it's it's interesting. I've, I've you know uh, known you for a while. I'm watching you, you know, do all these things with with Vistage, Vistage, whatnot. Um, you've you've um you've nailed a lot of things in terms of crisis and um, embracing change and that intercession you talk about. Um, what about you personally? Was there uh, something in your life that made you uh, decide to go down this route? Go back to the you know young Brad. Um, yeah, you know, I, I kind of grew up, um, I think I, I learned a lot of this from my father. He was one that always, um, uh, loved the next challenge, left yeah. home when he was 15. Um, you know, literally worked two jobs and put himself through school. And I remember at five years old, yeah. graduating, and he, you know, so I, I come from that, um, very poor you know, Mississippi roots. And, and so there's a lot of grit instilled, Mm -hmm. um, from that grandfather on one side was a farmer and, 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 and those meek means, you know, me personally, um, I have a little different view now. Perspective was married for 17 years, lost, lost a wife to cancer. That was a pretty big turning point in my life. Um, a crisis you can't manage, a crisis nonetheless. But, you know, I think it's that nothing is really put in front of us that we can't handle. And I think if you continue to look, most most people that get to, before we got on there, we were talking about your more than salt and pepper beard. But those of us that get those, that, that salt in our hair, kind of realize we look back, you know, a lot of these things that were put before us, Nothing was put there to break us, but it really made us stronger for that next big challenge. Yeah, you know, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. All these trite sayings that we we can easily embrace once a crisis is abated, right? Okay, I've been through, whether it's, you know, divorce, bankruptcy, whatever it is, or, you know, passing someone, a loved one passing. On the the back side of that, we go, oh, yes, I become a better man from it. But when you're in the middle of it, it sometimes clouds our our view, our, our perspective, I believe. At least it did for me. Well, all, all decisions are emotional. Yeah. You got to realize that. And, and there's a difference in problem solving and making decisions, right? Problem solving mm-hmm. problem solving mm-hmm. is dealing with stuff in the present and the past. Making decisions is really about the future, right? right. right. And so, you know, when you approach these crises, a lot of people tend to approach it and want to do a, you know, woe is me, you know, you have to quickly assess what is going on and plot a course. And that's, you know, that's, that's what I was, that's how I made my money. That's how we bought companies. I had a piece of the action. We went in quickly assess, don't live in the past a lot, but quickly assess where you are, where you need to go and quickly assess the people you need to get you there. Right. Um, And I'm not one of these guys that's, you know, you may sound like, oh, my gosh, you know, he's another chainsaw owl that came in there and just fired. <laughs> gotcha, I man. never, never did that in private equity. I really, if anything, I was always mm-hmm. accused of keeping people too long. I always had a three yeah. strike rule. I'll try yeah. in three different seats. Right. If it doesn't work. I feel I've done my part as a leader. Right. I've tried to put you in places to succeed and you just didn't didn't work. But, you know, you really have to quickly assess who is key, who are the key people on the team that you need to surround yourself with. Because the key thing to remember is, the, as a leader, the crisis is your success is, is only about 20% de- determined by you. Yeah. 
The rest of it is the people you surround yourself with, the environment that you're in, and the mm. strategy and vision you put forth. Love it. Most people try to take all of it on themselves. Like, this mm -hmm. is my crisis. I own it. I'm going to grind mm. us through it. No, you have to approach it, assess it, set the vision, set the future, put the team in place, and then empower them yeah. to give them the resources they need. I love that. That that's a great segue into my my big question here in terms of the the right people in the right seats and whatnot. It's one thing to have a crisis come up to you, bang, you know, here it is, you know, COVID or you know, um, something big, a recession or a factory burning or something. But it's the slow ones I think that catch a lot of people that just trickle in slowly and all of a sudden you wake up and go, oh crap, right? And one of those that keeps comes to mind is this, you know, this term now, the Great Resignation. And getting people in those seats when there's not as many people apparently that wanna wanna sit down with you. Do you have any uh, advice or input on the the talent pool out there? Hey, I don't want to sound too fluffy, um, but That's I'm right. gonna go back to mindset. If you go yeah. into this thinking that there's wow. scarcity, you'll come from a place of, of a it. fixed mindset and trying to protect too much. There's an abundance of people out there. Okay. They just may not want to work for you. Oh, awareness. And that, okay. That's the key. The, the key is this is an economic thing. Yeah. It, a lot of people don't believe it. The employer employee relationship is a cost benefit analysis. Yeah. Right. What's it costing me to, what's the benefits to overcome the cost of me working for you? And, yeah. and we try to, you know, to change that from an economic situation by providing culture and a great work environment and all these things. And those are good for a certain degree. Right. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to surround yourself with the right people. Mm -hmm. And so understanding who you've got and the talent you got, because one thing, the big fallacy of us as leaders is we're our own biggest heroes. And we tend to surround ourselves with people like us. Why? Because we're the most fabulous, normal people we know. And so the worst thing you can do is construct this team that's like you. Because, right. you know, right. right? Then you got a bunch of yes men that, hey, Brad, you're, you're awesome. <laughs> you keep doing you. You need these people that are going to challenge you. You need yeah. these people that you need a well-rounded, good balanced team uh -huh. that can handle this, this, this crisis. Now, the other thing is recognizing the different temperaments you have on the team, the different personalities, and how mm -hmm. each of those respond differently to crisis. Mm -hmm. um, because everybody gets triggered in a different way. And you can read yeah. that in their personalities and emotional and intelligence right. assessments. There's a, there's a whole host of tools you could bring to bear on this sure. that are all out there in one way or another in management yeah. land and yeah. speak. There's tons of guys like, you know, running around giving assessments and stuff. It's having that right combination to really recognize, you know, adaptability and resilience and 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 those types of things to help you overcome those problems. Yeah, yeah. You, you have me at you find what you're looking for. If you think if you think there's a, a weak talent pool, that's what you're going to see. Yeah, and I've got clients that have just totally embraced this. They've said, you know yeah. what, we we're having a hard time finding developers and coders. Um, in Little Rock, Arkansas, yeah. and now the whole world has opened up to us because we figured out remote. And by the way, instead of paying, you know, thirty thousand dollars a month rent, now we have a office space that's two thousand dollars a month just for right. board meetings and video conferencing. And they've embraced it, and and they figured out 
of how to manage teams in India and how to do these and how to integrate those teams with you. They figured out the hard problems. Why? Because the crisis of the pandemic forced them to do it. They, they, you know, I've got clients that have offices and headquarters, you know, headquarters in the U.S. and offices in India and China and Mm -hmm. have all these problems. We can't get the teams to work together and it's a huge cost. And, but you know what? They figured it out through the pandemic and now it's opened up a huge pools of talent to them. You know, that brings me to another topic that I'd love to have you chime in on because I've talked to a couple of high profile people in uh, robotics, AI, and um, some people that look at the future, you know, futurists, whatnot. And there's two two schools of camp here, right? Two, two people, uh, two sets of people. One's like, oh, you know, every time there's a disruption technology, you know, we're going to lose a lot of jobs. And, uh, you know, and the other person says, well, also, we create a lot of jobs. You know, we get rid of the uh, CD manufacturers. The streaming guys, you know, have a lot of jobs. And lately, I've heard a lot of people say this time it's different, you know, with the whole ro- robotic cars and, uh, you know, the Boston Dynamics dogs and all these things that we see here of automation, especially in the artificial intelligence world, it's going to eliminate more jobs than ever. And it's going to be, you know, a different kind of great resignation. So that's one one camp. The other camp was a conversation I had with the chief data scientist at Intel when I brought up the, you know, the Terminator, the Terminator series. Hey, man, you know, these guys are going to take over and kill us all. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he said, well, he doesn't see it that way. Again, he saw what he's looking for. But he said, I can tell you right now there's over, um, I think he said, 2,000 job descriptions. They don't know how to write yet for the merging of AI and robotics and whatnot. And there's over, he said, over a quarter million jobs they can't even fill because they don't know how to define a person who needs to design uh, robotic arms that resemble muscles and stuff. There's so many things that we haven't even figured out yet. And so his mind, yeah, there's going to be more jobs, more high tech perhaps, but more overall. So you've seen a lot of manufacturing and service, everything. I'd like to get your take on the future. So there is some research and I wish I could remember it. So I can call it out, so so your your uh, listeners could go to it. But there is some research from a few years ago that said uh, somewhere around eighty five percent of the jobs that are needed twenty years from now don't exist right now. And I think it's probably real similar to what your Intel guest was referring to. You know, we don't know what we don't know. You know, the future holds a lot. Once again, like I said earlier, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. Crisis drives all this. Um, you know autonomous vehicles, yes, they're going to become, I think we're going to see them more on the semi-truck side because of shortage of drivers, right? Um, And and yes, we are going to lose jobs, but there are going to be other jobs recreated. You know, I think back to my generation, and I think you and I have talked about this before, um, just, just in passing, but my generation is probably the last generation that remembers growing up and going to a grandparent's farm. Yeah. Yeah. They don't exist anymore. Why? Because my, my parents' generation left the farm. Farms became, became, you know, so I, I remember my uncles and stuff prior to that, you had the, the, the industrial revolution that took a lot of people from the farms. They couldn't imagine that. Right? Yeah, and then right. they went to the factories, and then during our lifetime, we've seen them leave the factories and move into knowledge work, and that be iterated on a few times, and we're seeing yeah. them shift around. They were everybody. There was a rush. We need all these 
people to code and we need all these coders. And now coding has been automated through artificial intelligence. Oh, yeah. The fact of the matter is you can't, um, you can't automate relationships. You can't automate creativity. You can't automate all of those things. So the human, Not yet. Not the, yet. I've seen those Japanese sex robots, Brad. Yeah. They're, they're pretty nice gals. They're, they're pretty nice, but, you know, <laughs> only people can learn. Right, right. You know, AI, is, uh, you know, assimilates data and, and pulls data together. We yeah. need all, we got to have all that. There's a net opening of jobs. And a lot of people say, well, yeah, it's workforce participation. Those numbers are out there. Bureau of Labor and Statistics has those numbers. We've got high participation rates, even if you took all the people that are on any kind of government assistance. The yeah. problem is globally in industrialized countries, we haven't been having babies. The young people haven't been having babies like they normally do. Right, and that includes right. China. Of course, they have rules around that. But but yeah. the fact of the matter is we have to have all of this invention and this innovation. Why? Because we have a crisis of people. Yeah. And, and the, we're seeing it in the restaurants and the housekeeping jobs and these, these lower end jobs. Why? Because yeah. those people are moving up. They're bettering themselves. That's what we right. want as a society. We yeah, want people right. better. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is the rest of us see it as less people to take my order at the restaurant or bring stuff out. And, um, Hey, uh, we'll solve those problems. We'll figure yeah, those I, out. I agree a hundred percent. Right. I mean, the, uh, the whole thing, the, the the last big debate on minimum wage about, you know, can't make a living wage at McDonald's. I'm like, you're not supposed to. It's supposed to be a temporary job for a season or a year or two or something. You're supposed to get out of that. You know, you're not supposed to do it for, as a career, right? So I. Yeah, it's, it's, I, they're not set up to give you phenomenal benefits and all. McDonald's is a great place and there's great, great franchise, right? And franchisors out there. But yeah. those are entry level jobs, those are, are, are require less skills. So, um, right. Once again, crisis. That's 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 the thing. Without crisis, there would be no reason to change. Mm -hmm. and, and you know, yeah. to, today's today's new novel inventions become tomorrow's expectation, right? Mm -hmm. What's new and novel today is is an expectation. Model. But keep this in mind too. There's not really a whole lot of new ideas out there. Yeah, Amazon. And I think this this isn't, you know, I may be giving away too much in the book. I probably should have more teasers out there. But, you know, in the book, I think, you know, we talk about the fact Amazon is not a new concept. It is mm -hmm. the Sears Roebuck catalog just yep. put online. Yep. They just because Sears got too comfortable and didn't yeah. didn't have a good crisis, a good enough crisis early enough. They sat back with big department stores and real estate and yeah. and instead of taking their catalog they're big thick that way we used to get when i was little I remember that's that yeah you, you circled them in the catalog for grandma and grandpa they just put that online you yeah. know blockbuster netflix you know netflix was going to buy blockbuster yeah. and or, or i'm sorry blockbuster was going to buy netflix and i you know we'll just you know we'll, we'll go a different route right all, all netflix did is serve up videos to us in a different way all voodoo yeah. does is rent movies to us in a different way that blockbuster already had right blockbuster became too comfortable and they didn't yeah. take advantage of the crisis yeah keep in mind my parents had netflix before it went streaming we just rented the dvd unlimited it came in the mail 
and you can send it back whenever you wanted to. That was that was their USP. It's like, okay, we're gonna bring a DVD, and you don't. There's no late fees. Was a big deal. You just have it shipped the mail and hold it for a day or a year. We don't care. Well, you know, and that was the thing. They had, that was the Netflix idea. Yeah. Mail order yeah. rental. But yeah. the business model went through a crisis, and they're like, "This right. ain't working. We can't That's make right. this work." And yeah. and so crisis of 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 market share business model right. drove them to a different delivery yeah. service, which was video on demand. Yeah. Over they got the top, a, they got a good buffering system or something there to make it work. So yeah, it's yeah. hardly ever pickups. That's right. So all these crises are there as opportunities for us. Yeah. And, and that's where great entrepreneurs and great leaders come in. We recognize these crises and they put together businesses to go attack these crises. The problem is they get comfortable. And when we get comfortable, right. that's when we cease to innovate. Yes. That's when we swoop in and, and destroy the competition. Yeah. So the <laughs> trick is how can you get comfortable being uncomfortable? Right. That's a trick. And it's uh, it's laid out in your book that's coming out, uh, Built for Crisis by Brad Cousins. <clears throat> um, in the meantime, is there anything you want to do in a giveaway, an assessment or a link or something or just your website to uh, the viewers here? I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, visit my, uh, I got a couple websites. Visit this website for you at uh, uh, engagehcs.com. You'll find out a little bit about some of the team dynamic stuff, work we're doing around resilience, some of the research I've got going there. Uh, and assessments that you can take, all three, jump in there, awesome. read some of the resources, take some of those at engage, I-N-G-A-G-H-C-S.com. Engagehts.com. Check it out. Brad, thank you so much for being on the show today. Appreciate it. Hopefully come back soon and we'll share some more wisdom. All right. Thanks, Doug. Okay, you bet. That concludes the show for today. I'm your host, Doug Crow from the Author Your Brand Show. You're going to want to take notes. I hope you did. If not, Show notes are below along with Brad's link to his assessments. Check it out. Until next time, it's your host, Doug Crow. Have a good day.